0: I'm Elena Salinas, software engineer and host of the Women in Tech Show, Technical Interviews with Prominent Women in Tech. Cloud computing is an area where we are constantly seeing new patterns and best practices emerge especially around the Kubernetes ecosystem. One example is GitOps. Yvonne Ratzmikam and Samia Akhtar, software engineers at Microsoft, explained what GitOps is and how it changes the way applications are deployed to a Kubernetes cluster. We talked about different ways of deploying applications and the challenges that GitOps addresses. Before we continue with the interview, I wanted to tell you that I launched a new podcast. It's called The 5-Minute Mentor. In this podcast, you'll hear advice from prominent engineers, entrepreneurs, artists, and more in five minutes or less. Check it out by going to mentors.fm or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts by searching 5-Minute Mentor. Thank you. I'm here at Microsoft with Yvonne Ratzmikam and Samia Akhtar, software engineers at Microsoft. Welcome to the show.
1: Yeah, thanks for having us on the show. It's a pleasure to be able to speak on this podcast.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for having us, Adina. Today, we're going to be talking about GitOps and DevOps, topics that are related to systems built on Kubernetes. So before we get in, into those topics, I want to begin with a quick recap on Kubernetes. Can you explain what Kubernetes is?
1: Yeah, I think before I dive into more technical terms, I think we should try and understand containers from a very like simple, very like layman language. So like, you know, the idea of containers kind of derived from, you know, physical shipping containers, right? When you think of physical shipping containers, you think of, you know, storage space that holds most likely like a bunch of things, right? And so this is what Kubernetes is, this is what containers in software development resembles. It's basically a way to package your application and all the libraries and all the dependencies for that application in one package and and be able to spawn that in multiple environments. And I think, you know, back in the day, you know, before containers was a big deal, we kind of relied on virtual machines. And virtual machines are still heavily used today, and they're great. However, they are they're very resource intensive, and they kind of work a little differently. Virtual machines kind of rely on having you know one unit that you know that encompasses your operating system so that's that's one of the biggest differences i'd say between a virtual machine and a container right containers are independent of your operating system does not require you to have an operating system it just solely relies on having just your application and anything it depends on in one package Um, and so you know a benefit of using containers is because of that it you can basically run containers in any environment. And it's because it's independent of your system resources that also makes it a little more reliable and a little more secure.
0: And one of the reasons why you're describing, you know, continuous BMS is because sort of these are some of the concepts that can help us understand what Kubernetes is.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, why are we talking about Kubernetes? So what is Kubernetes? Well, Kubernetes is kind of like a way for you to manage your containers, right? It's kind of like a controller where, you know, if someone has multiple containers with different microservices, it's that tool to help you scale and help you deploy your resources accordingly. And uh, definitely, definitely a very powerful tool. It's only one I know that does that.
0: Exactly. And we've been talking about containers and Kubernetes. One of the main characteristics of Kubernetes is that it's declarative. Can one of you explain what being declarative means?
1: Yeah, so a declarative system usually implies that you have some kind of desired state. So, so for example, if you want a certain number of pods or a specific application to run in your cluster, you know, your Kubernetes manifest will have a desired state. And so most times when you're deploying something to your cluster, your cluster will try to match whatever is this desired state. It will not scale. It's not... What's the opposite of declarative? Imperative?
0: Yes. Yeah, so
1: the difference between declarative and imperative is declarative will always depend on what your final desired state is, and it will always try to match that state.
0: Another important concept that I want to talk about before we get into GitOps and DevOps is the resource manifest, which is a component of the way applications are deployed in Kubernetes. Can you explain what the resource manifest is?
1: Yeah, so I think I've mentioned this earlier without providing any context, but a resource manifest
0: is basically a
1: config file usually written in the form of YAML or or JSON, most likely a YAML though, that will hold uh, resources and it will describe the object and along with its attributes. So I guess an example if you're in the Kubernetes world would be like if you have like a config map, you know, that you would describe like, you know, what URL or like what pods to scrape from a namespace, for example, like any attributes that will describe this specific resource.
0: And this resource manifest, you're saying it's a config file. And I guess this is kind of what really shows the declarative nature of Kubernetes, right? Because it's where you're saying, I want this many pods, this many replicas, this application to be deployed. Let's talk about one of the ways in which you would traditionally deploy resources to a Kubernetes cluster. GitOps is one way, but before we talk about that one, I want to understand what is another way of deploying them, sort of the initial way people were doing it.
1: Yeah, I think the most traditional ways of, you know, using Kubernetes is obviously through their kubectl. It's a CLI that helps you manage your Kubernetes cluster. And this is probably the route you'll take if you're just learning about Kubernetes. But you know there are also, like you said, a lot of other tools like GitOps and Terraform that allow you to manage and deploy Kubernetes to cloud. Um, yeah, kubectl is actually a pretty powerful tool, I'd say. I mean, it does everything it needs or it does everything you need to manage your cluster. So if you want to deploy more pods or if you want to deploy a new application, like all that can be done using the CLI.
0: Let's talk about another component of GitOps, which is Git, like its name suggests. First, for those that are not familiar with it, can you explain what Git is?
2: Yeah, so Git is a distributed version control system, which allows multiple developers in a team or multiple teams to collaborate on a single code base. And what this helps with is, you know, people would have, when multiple people are working on a project, they would have merge conflicts. They would want to go revert something. They would want to branch off and work on different, their own versions. And distributed version control system, Git is one of them. It came as a successor to SVN, which was uh, centralized. And so it's a great option for managing and tracking versions, creating releases. It, it has become the new standard for version control. So all the teams are all most most of all companies are starting to move towards using Git from you know Subversion or Mercurial and all of that. So yeah, an example of how y- you would use Git in a non-GitOps workflow would just be simple. You know, a team of five engineers creating their own branches, creating a pull request, merging their code, reviewing each other's code, so understanding what people are writing and how they can improve it, finding bugs ahead of time. Git really helps with that because before something is merged. You can take a look. And yeah, creating issues, assigning it to people, associating pull requests with a specific task really helps understanding why something was committed into the code base. And you can also always go back and use the blame tool to see what code was pushed in and by who, so you know exactly who to go back and talk to.
0: So it sounds like when we're using Git and the workflow that comes around it, we're not always just allowing people to you know develop code on their own and then just like push it to the the repository, is that correct?
2: Yeah, exactly, yeah. It, it's like the centralized or distributed place where everyone knows exactly what's getting pushed in. No one just you know pushes in some code, and that way we also maintain consistency in a team on coding practices.
0: Does this workflow allow you to limit who can push to which branches?
2: Exactly, yeah, so you can always have branch policies, some to master, you would always require a set number of code reviewers, and only a certain people would have access to push to certain branches. So let's say if you have, you know, release branches, maybe the only the ops engineer or someone who is, you know, the senior in the team would go and take a look or create a branch for a release. And you can have a few rules that you can set up for every branch. And most teams use mostly the master branch, but you can also have branches for every environment. For example, they could be a production staging branch, develop branch. And based on those prefixes, you could also set up rules.
0: Now that we have some context on what Git is and the workflow around it, as well as the resource manifests and the initial concept of how people can start deploying things to Kubernetes, can we talk about some of the disadvantages of the you know initial workflow for deploying, which, like Yvonne mentioned, consists of using kubectl and applying this resource manifest? What are some of the disadvantages?
2: Yeah, so if you're not using GitOps, then you're looking at a traditional method of deployment. So before Kubernetes, I think GitOps was really not a thing because declarative systems did not exist to this extent. So one alternative to using GitOps is to use a system in which both the developer and the CI system have access to the cluster. In that way, the developer is writing some config which goes into the cluster or or the container. And one problem with that is it requires that some deployment config is living in the source repo or if they are separating it out, then there is some kind of a pipeline that exists between the source repo and the config repo. And in most cases, this used to be all in the same repository. And then there's also the old school system where the developer doesn't know anything about the deployment. So then there is an ops engineer in the team who is basically writing the resource manifest manually. So he's going in and he's describing, this is a new image tag. This is where it should be deployed into this environment. What should be the number of pods, you know, replicas and everything. So all of that is used to be manual, and this would be done, you know, maybe daily or weekly, depending on, you know, the deployment procedure that's followed in their team. And the advantage of using GitOps over all these methods would be that, you know, You have a system, you have automation, and this reduces the risk of error and the manual work which is required. So DevOps or Ops teams can be, you know, downsized rather they would maintain this automation pipeline rather than, you know, doing the manual work of changing things that they would traditionally be doing.
0: You mentioned, you kind of gave a sneak peek of what GitOps is, but now I want to understand what is GitOps?
1: Yeah, so I'd say GitOps is a relatively new concept and it's probably been introduced, I don't know, within the past recent years, but uh, GitOps is really the art of just relying on Git as your main tool to, to deliver. And so the idea is you're using Git pull requests to, to manage or provision your infrastructure. And, you know, and Samia may have already said this, but one of the biggest advantages of using GitOps is you're kind of relying on a single tool or an interface, right? right? Whether it be Azure DevOps or GitHub, to control your infrastructure. And you get, with this, with using Git, you're getting a lot of other benefits as well. So you get version control, which is extremely useful for tracking changes or for auditing. You know, you have the ability to roll back with Git. And, you know, given that Git is such a universal dev tool, this is a very, you're introducing a very developer-centric environment, right? So, you know, nowadays you can't go to a tech company and and not expect a developer to not know Git. So it's a tool that most people are already pretty proficient in, and so using it and, and relying on it is hassle-free. But in addition to that, it's also very efficient in doing a lot of other things, right? Like continuous delivery for Kubernetes, which we will cover later on. And like Sami had already said, it provides a lot of automation and convergence.
0: So we're talking about how we can leverage Git to handle you know, deploying resources to our cluster. As you were mentioning earlier, Git is about managing source code and things like that. In this case, where we're talking about deploying infrastructure to a cluster, what is in that Git repository? What does it contain?
1: I mean, it can can contain a variety of things, right? It can contain your Kubernetes manifests, right? It can contain code, like files that help you build your infrastructure, like Azure arm templates or Terraform files it can contain unit testing that is used in you know your CI/CD it can contain a lot of things and all this is sucked in into GitOps
0: so the main thing is we will be developing this resource manifest that we talked about within this Git repository mm mm-hmm. what does the ops part mean in GitOps
1: Yeah. So when I think of ops, whether it's in the form of GitOps, which is a new concept now, or, you know, formerly or more traditionally DevOps, I really think automation, right? Automation of deployments. So, you know, the ops piece Um, really, really highlights like the procedure or the methodology of handling automation um, and to, to follow like best engineering practice so that, you know, whatever your system is built on top of is low risk and it's reliable, it's secure, and it's efficient, right? So, you know, I also think ops can mean a lot of other things within operations. It could also mean monitoring, for example, right? I think a lot of people tend to neglect that aspect of operations, but I think monitoring the health of, for example, your system or your cluster, whatever it may be, is very vital to having, uh, you know, a very efficient, well-built system. And so whether it's in the form of telemetry or metrics, you know, monitoring should be highly regarded in the ops area and so and this is the reason being is because in operations it's really important to be able to respond to any issues that arise and the best way to do that is to have good insight of your system and in order to have good insight you have to have good metrics.
0: Earlier when Samia you were explaining git and some of its advantages like preventing errors uh, Yvonne I think you mentioned being able to do rollback for the GitOps particular case, since now we have the resource manifests in this repository, what are some of the errors that could be prevented because now we have, you know, these workflow where people approve, you know, pull requests and things like that. What errors can we prevent if we adopt this way of deploying infrastructure?
2: Yes, I think we can prevent errors such as, you know, manual human errors such as, when you're writing resource manifests for uh, Kubernetes, there's a lot of mistakes you can make writing YAML. Those can be avoided, you know, if you have, um, if you have a repository which has a few tests or, you know, a CI pipeline within it that validates that YAML and verifies that it's, you know, it's something that can be deployed. And on top of that, you can have some reviewers, you know, someone who's taking a look at it and making sure, okay, yes, this looks good. Uh, We're not creating a ton of resources our subscription, which is going to cost us money. Previously, you know, when we didn't use Git for this, anyone can go and deploy any kind of resource. And so having that extra layer of Git gives you that transparency and also adds that layer of security.
0: And some of these areas, just to give people an idea, can translate to costs. Like if somebody makes a mistake and you know puts a really big number of replicas and resources, that can impact a business, right? Exactly, yeah, so it's also saving cost. What are other problems that GitOps solves? So I think
1: Sami had mentioned one of the bigger ones, like anything that's human error prone, right? Like, you know, the ability to automate a lot of these things is probably one of the, one of the biggest solutions for, for GitOps. And also, I think one that I would like to point out is the dependency on, on different technologies, right? GitOps really relies on Git. And if you have one tool that does your entire CI, CD, that's only one tool to worry about. Whereas, you know, other people might have Travis CI or they might have Jenkins or they might have TeamCity, Octopus Deploy. Managing too many tools to run your entire CI, CD becomes problematic because if one is down, then, you know, other parts will also depend on that tool,
0: right? Everything else is down as well. You're mentioning CI, CD and how using one tool is is much simpler than having to manage a lot of tools. I wanna talk about the components on GitOps and how somebody would go about implementing it. First, I wanted to clarify CI CD for those that aren't familiar with it, if you can explain what it means. Yeah,
1: sure. So I think CI CD itself is kind of a, a mouthful. Because really, like, the, the term CI, CD really describes two processes, right? There's the CI piece, and then there's also the CD piece. And so I guess to break things down, CI stands for continuous integration, right? And when I think of continuous integration, I think of work that improves the quality of your code. So this could mean, you know, once you make a commit to your repo, the CI portion will do like code quality scans to make sure that your latest changes adhere to good good coding practices, it will run like automated testing to make sure they didn't break any functionality, you know, and it will also make sure that it will also run like any integration tests to make sure that, you know, everything else is also in place, right? CD, on the other hand, continuous delivery piece, this is more of the delivery component, right? So you are deploying your infrastructure, you are provisioning things, you are pushing code out, you're building. Um, This is more of the actionable piece, I would say, of the CI CD.
0: Okay, let's talk more about what the components of GitOps are. So we already talked about, you know, you're using Git, you have your repository somewhere, for example, GitHub, you have CI/CD. What are other tools and technologies that are used to allow GitOps?
1: Yeah, so I guess one that's been up and coming is is Flux. This one is actually something that we heavily rely on in Microsoft Bedrock, not advocating anything. <laughs> but yeah, Weaveworks so is the creator of Flux, and they did coin the term GitOps. They were the ones who created this term. And Flux alone is a tool that does the continuous delivery piece of your entire CI, CD, which is... Amazing. So it enables, you know, automatic deployments to your Kubernetes cluster. But what Flux is essentially a Kubernetes operator. So it runs within your cluster and it also syncs with one repository and it scans this remote Git repository to make sure that if there are any changes or updates that need to be made, it will deploy those changes accordingly. And so Flux will pull this configuration from that centralized Git repo. And again, um, this highlights a very, very
0: dev-centric way of deploying and auditing stuff. So if I understand this correctly, what you're describing is you have Flux running. One thing I want to clarify, is it running in the Kubernetes cluster? Yes. Great. Flux is,
1: yeah, it's a Kubernetes operator. It runs within your Kubernetes cluster and it is... Its configuration ties to a remote Git repository, whether it's on GitHub or Azure DevOps. But it knows to constantly scan at an interval if there are any recent commits made to this repository. And if there is, then it would deploy those resources accordingly.
0: Does it look at a particular branch within that?
1: Yeah, so it does drill down to like very specific things. It can drill down to a specific path or a branch or even a, a Docker registry. So it does multiple
0: things. So to connect the pieces from earlier, we have the resource manifest living in a Git repository, and then we have Flux deployed on Kubernetes cluster. Flux knows about that resource manifest repository, and when we approve a change to that resource manifest, we push it to you know some branch like master. Flux will pull that change and deploy it in Kubernetes. That's correct, yeah. Versus the old method of I'm editing my file, resource manifest file. I apply it and there's no guard in between. Yeah, so
1: instead of using, you know, Flux is essentially a wrapper for kubectl. It does rely on those commands. And so instead of manually deploying them over your terminal or whatever, Flux does does all the grunt work for
2: you.
0: From your experience working in this space, what are some of the challenges in GitOps?
2: Yeah, so one of the challenges with GitOps is there is observability that's kind of lacking. It really depends uh, on how the pipelines or how the workflow is set up for a team. But you know, depending on how it is, you could have multiple repositories. There could be pipelines between them. They could be executing multiple scripts. So a, you know, a developer or an ops engineer has to go look at it in different places. Maybe you have to go to the source repo to see who the committer was. You have to go to the resource manifest repository to, to see who edited the YAML. And if there is a pipeline in place that, you know causes them to get edited directly. Then you have to go look at the logs for that build pipeline to see exactly what changed and maybe something failed. So there are some third party tools available that can help you visualize what happened there. For example, one of them is Jenkins X, but it all obviously you know requires a use Jenkins and has a very specific workflow. I don't think you can customize it a whole lot. And then at Microsoft we are also developing bedrock that you know has its own observability tools. But in general, I mean if you're using Flux and you wouldn't want to rely on a third party tool, then Flux also pushes a sync tag into the resource manifest repository, which you can go and see, okay, it synced to this commit, maybe it didn't sync to the most latest commit, and so on. So another challenge with GitOps, apart from observability is reverting a deployment requires knowledge of Git. So sometimes you might want to revert back to two deployments ago or maybe three. And the ops engineer, whoever is doing this, needs to understand how to revert a commit in the resource manifest repository. And this can sometimes be complicated depending on how many Teams are pushing to the same resource manifest repository, and it can be challenging, I guess, depending on the Git knowledge this person has.
0: Before we finish, I wanted to ask you about your journey onboarding with this area of cloud computing and Kubernetes. I know you came from different backgrounds in a sense, like web development, and you, Yvonne, also came not from you know, working in this kind of things, and you started late last year. Can you talk a bit about your experience getting exposed to this area?
1: Yeah, for sure. With Kubernetes, I've, let's see, I don't, it's been a long time coming now. I've probably have startups going and becoming more proficient at Kubernetes since, I don't know, end of last year, at some point, end of last year. Regardless, there's a huge need for it, right? There's a huge demand for Kubernetes. It seems like it's kind of, there's a buzz for it. And a lot of companies are trying to onboard and start using this technology, which which kind of inspired me to be fluent in this technology. But, you know, along the way I'm starting to recognize a lot of a lot of advantages in using Kubernetes, right? And so I really think I really think this is the tool moving forward. And yeah, previously I've done a bunch of other things like machine learning and data science. So definitely a different realm for me but i think there's a lot of progress and i think there's a lot of hope with using kubernetes so i'm excited to see like what else what else it brings
2: yeah i actually started around the same time in you know in the space and i come from react front end web development so i didn't know a lot about you know, Kubernetes when I came in. And I think in the last eight months or so is when I was upskilling on Kubernetes and GitOps. And I think it's fantastic space to be in. It's new, it's evolving, it's the new space of continuous deployment and delivery. So I think I'm learning a lot and I'm very excited that I'm able to use some of my past React knowledge while building this observability tool for Microsoft Bedrock. And everything's starting to fit in and to the new future of DevOps. So I'm very excited about that.
0: Well, thank you, Samia and Yvonne, for coming on the show. It's been great talking to you. Yeah, thanks a lot for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. This was amazing.